podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 57 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, where this week, joining myself, Lee and Pete, is a man from the world of cricket, an England international, currently playing for Nottinghamshire, and more importantly, maybe for ourselves, an Evertonian, and that is Jake Ball. Jake, how are you, mate? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Really good. Um, really happy to be on this, actually. We're delighted to have you yeah. on. We've, yeah. we've, uh, we've, we've dabbled in, in uh, fans of Everton from the sporting world in the past. We've had Adam Jones on, uh, Welsh L, ex-Welsh rugby player, uh, on a few months ago now, I think when lockdown first started. And, and it, really, yeah. it really sort of intrigues us to listen and talk to people from other sports. Um, even more so with the obviously the the current situation that that we're in, and, and the fact obviously that you support Everton is is even better yeah. for ourselves. So we're we're looking forward <laughs> to, to to the the discussion today. But f- first things first, as as we just mentioned, then obviously it's it's still strange times, you know, in the world of sports, especially. Um, you're back playing cricket. You you've played um a couple of times in recent weeks in the county championship, and and as we said off air before, you got the twenty uh, twenty twenty coming up next week how's it been in terms of how different has it been with obviously no fans we discussed briefly you know uh, what's happening in terms of testing what's it like is, is it strange at the moment um it started it started strange i think when we when we first started we back training and stuff we had to have our own specific ball we had to wear gloves if we were doing any like catching or anything like that um we was only allowed to train in groups of three or four at a time so like you didn't really it didn't really feel like we was a squad until and we didn't actually train fully as a squad until two weeks before our first game so it was a little bit little bit strange in in that sense but so once you'd done it for a couple of days it sort of became the norm and um yeah you sort of got on with it I think we was all just so happy to be back playing playing cricket um you know we was having zoom meetings and all sorts throughout just to try and keep everyone together um, we did a little bit on the on the Michael Jordan um, documentary that came out, just like trying to keep everybody sort of connected and stuff. So when we got the call to say that we were going to go back to to playing cricket, you know, I think we was all just happy to go back in what whatever form that was. Um, and as it has, it's actually not been too bad since been back. Um, Knots have actually been really good in terms of putting a good live stream on for all our members. So I think they've all sort of enjoyed that. Obviously, not as much as coming down to the ground, but um, it doesn't it doesn't feel too different for us for like like say county championship games because we normally would probably get like two or three thousand in and, and it, in a stadium which holds sort of seventeen thousand. It doesn't actually feel like that many. So. Um, it hasn't felt too different for that, but I think when, the, like I say, when the T20s come round um, back end of this week, I think I think that's when you'll notice it. Cause we got we got Yorkshire away, and um, for anybody that's been to a T20 at Yorkshire, they get they get stuck into you, and it's not a nice place to actually go and, and play cricket. So um, yeah, I think that'll feel a lot different when that starts. Have they still got uh, the ruling that you can't use saliva to? To put a, a shine on the ball, is, is that still is that still in? Is it? Pete's yeah. laughing there. Pete's laughing, yeah. but it's a, it's a genuine thing. I can see, yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, you're not you're not allowed to use any sweat from um, like the front of your face. So anything that could potentially have got uh, contaminated, we'll say, is 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 a no. So you have to t- either take sweat from the back of your head, or we found a lot of people actually get sweaty on the, the small of their back. So we see people like going around just above the arse crack, getting a bit of sweat and just get it, just getting anything you can, obviously within, within the rules of the game uh, to try and help you. Cause it, it, it has been a little bit difficult because obviously it's such a big part of the game in England is the ball to be swinging. So um, yeah, that, that's been tricky, but you know, you, you find ways around it. I'm about to say, mate, that you're goose then if you can't swing the ball, can't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's 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 all we do in England. That's all we're that's all we're taught to do. 
it's so it, it is so strange to sort of have these these kind of things that, that have been that have been brought in and, and we were saying maybe before we before we kicked off the call about the whole um you know the, the checking temperatures I do all the time now with, with yourselves and the rest of the squad and the coaching staff. Um so it's all, all this now I've I've just seen something from the, the World Health Organization saying that they're hoping the pandemic will be over within two years. Um so ho- hopefully Hopefully, you know, this is not going to become the norm for the longer term. But over the course, obviously, of, of this summer and into probably September, you know, October time, it's going to be part and parcel of sport. That, uh, that, that's definitely for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, speaking to our sort of doctors and people that we have around the, the our club, they reckon, obviously, it is going to be around and stuff. But I think they, they seem to think that by the start of next season, for us, it will be sort of, relatively where we'd expect it to be um obviously you don't you don't know do you like things move and change all the time and you're hearing different things one day and then it can change completely the next day so when this talk about obviously getting getting crowds in and stuff back into into football um i think i saw saw that the, the trying to negotiate getting crowds in for the, for the merseyside derby so that would be that'll be good one let's get get a few people in and, and get back to a bit of normality um so yeah, I think as soon as soon as that sort of happens, I think people will start to feel a bit more, bit more normal about it. Yeah, just say I don't want to feed the uh, Everton conspiracy theorists on social media, but by by the way, earliest derby in the season in fourteen years, seventeenth <laughs> of October. It's it's normally it is always normally around my birthday to be honest with you. So the the Merseyside derby normally a bit later in October, um, but it's you know I think if you look look at our fixtures going off, off piece a little bit, look at our fixtures and who we're playing. We seem to have a lot of the uh, the, the tougher games at Goodison Park uh, pre New Year, which tends to fit in with not having many fans if any fans in the in the ground. So. Uh, if if any club was was not going to benefit from from this, it was going to be us, wasn't it? But that's that's another another story. But <laughs> going back to the T Twenty side, you mentioned obviously that that kicks off next week, and that's that's one, isn't it? Which is really really for the fans. I've been to a few Lancashire games in the past, and I've been to Lancashire Yorkshire, I think, up with at Old Trafford. Um, and you know they are they are occasions for for fans, aren't they? You know, get having a few drinks in your seats, fancy dress. Bit of sledging, things like that. They, they, it's, you, you are really going to feel a difference there, like you said before, aren't you? Compared to your, your, your county championship matches. Yeah, definitely. And at, I say at Trent Bridge, we I think we have the highest attendance outside of London. So our um, our like media team and everybody do such a good job in getting people in. We're so so used to sort of over the last sort of five or six years playing in front of anywhere from ten to say fifteen thousand people. So it's and and a lot of our players sort of thrive off that. They enjoy that. They get sort of get up and get the get the buzz going before and you know because say we we don't we're not used to playing in front of like really big crowds. So when we do get the 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 sort of the fifteen thousands, you you see people just sort of switch on and their eyes go a little bit bigger and you know it it means us a little bit more you know, to to put performance in front of the home crowd. So. It will be interesting to see to see how we go. Um, certainly, because we we've we've done so well in the tournament, say over the last over the last ten years, really, um, to see how how our, our big players can can stand up and and perform when when there isn't as as good an atmosphere out there. Is there any chance of getting the likes to see Stuart Burrow? Will he be allowed to come back in, or has he got to stay with England? Because I know I know they're on, at the moment splitting up the. The test sides and the one-day sides, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think they're obviously playing the the last test at the minute, and after that, I think he'll just take a bit of a break. To be honest, I think he's um, he's not really played any any um, one-day or T20 cricket for us now for for a couple of years. Might have played the odd game here and there, but I think he just likes to focus on playing test cricket for England and and keep taking wickets for them. And he's doing doing a pretty good job of it at the minute as well. So I think. Um, I think he'll just stick to stick to doing that and and get ready for any cricket that might happen in the winter. Yeah, mate. I was going to ask you actually. Speaking of T20, I, I'm I'm like Mike. I've been to quite a few T20 games. Um, I used to go back in the day, to be honest. Uh, to when Glamorgan used to play in North Wales, he used to play one fixture a year yes. in North Wales, um, and uh, that's when Viv, Viv Richards was playing back then. <laughs> I tell you what, right? 
Long, about 19, 1973. Yeah, I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm only I'm only mid 30s, so you know we're not going far too 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 far back. Yeah. But um, but no, but genuinely like T20 wasn't in then. But when whenever you used to watch, watch the the ODIs there, I mean, someone like Viv Richards, for example, you go and watch him live. I mean, he was at the tail end of his career at Glamorgan then, but yeah, you know, he, he used to play the game so aggressively. He played it almost like a T20. Do you know what I mean? He used to walk in with no helmet on. And just smash, smash people like to yourselves back over your head to sit. <laughs> I mean, I'd have, I'd have liked the opportunity to bowl at him, and he probably would have smacked me over my head to six. But yeah, I think, I think there's, a, there's a, there's a lot of players from say, say that that era that you think if they play T20 cricket now, God, yeah, you know, I reckon they, they'd clean up because I think it, it's such a, it's such a lucrative. Um, format to play you see players just just playing it on their own we've got a couple now at knots that have, have said oh, we're just going to play t20 and travel around the world and go and play in the caribbean and australia and pakistan bangladesh wherever it is and, and you can literally you can do it go from one to the next and you know they live a, a great lifestyle um and earn a lot of money doing it so it's yeah you know it's it's um i think over the last couple of years, people have been worried about the Test cricket survival. Um, I think Test cricket will always be there, but I think you'll see now a lot of young players, everybody growing up, wants to play T20 cricket. There's not many now that come up and say, oh, they probably would say my ambition would be to play Test cricket for England, but a lot of them say, I want to do the franchise cricket. I want to go and play in the Big Bash. I want to go and play in the IPL. Um, you know, the IPL is, is changed. I reckon the IPL has changed cricket for, forever, really. No, I was going to say on, on the same point, I mean, you've almost got your purists, isn't it? That obviously love, love the, you know, the five day test. Um, I mean, and, and for, for good reason, you know, there's been some epic games. Yeah. You know I mean, I mean, you, you only have to look at some of the games of England last year, didn't you? you know, with Ben Stokes, I mean, yeah, that was prime TV watching, wasn't it? But I think you are right. I think T20 coming in, um, Certainly, is going to grab the attention more of the youngsters coming through, isn't it? Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Test match cricket sits, probably in the next sort of five to ten years, really. Yeah, yeah, it will be because you know if you sit a I don't know a five year old down and say watch this all day and watch somebody like grind a hundred out off three hundred and fifty balls or whatever it is, they'll probably be asleep by lunch. Whereas if you sit them in front of a T20 game where there's fireworks and there's music and you're playing all these funky shots and you know you've got people that are sort of doing like, like trademarks now when they hit sixes I don't know like shooting it out the sky there's, there's things like that happening now there's people trying to build like their own little sort of thing about themselves which which gets them noticed and and there's more and more of that coming into the game now and and you look at you look at as well they were going to bring in this. The hundred weren't which is being pushed back to next year. So that that's that's shortening things even more, really, isn't it? Having, yeah. having obviously a uh, hundred balls and innings uh, per side, and that, that that again is trying to make the game even more quicker. And and suppose I suppose in a way maybe a, a bit Americanized because American sports are very sort of high score and fast paced. You know that that kind of thing, and maybe it's going that way uh, and appealing to to youngsters even more. Yeah, definitely, and. It would be something that is going to be really good for for English cricket and English cricketers because it's it's again it's a short thing, um, you know it's franchise. So you, you're going to go and something that hasn't really happened in English cricket before, where you could potentially go and play for Manchester or Birmingham or you know go and play for for, for these two teams in London. You could go and do that without sort of leaving your county, like Mo. Most players would only, like, I only ever know playing for Nottinghamshire and, and England, so that's all I know. Whereas people growing up now, they're, they're playing in different dress rooms, they're going and sort of rubbing shoulders with with the likes of like Virat Kohli and, and Smith and stuff from Australia because you get the chance to go and share dress rooms with these people. And, and it's only going to be good for English cricket if the more our youngsters can, can get involved with those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, and there's even, there's even a T10 tournament in, in Dubai now, which is crazy. But I know a few of our lads go and play in it, and they say it's just absolutely, you know, there's three or four games a night, games last just over an hour, and it's just non-stop 
people swinging off the ring trying to hit as many sixes as they can and they love it and and it's, it's actually it's good to watch so yeah. you can't you can't you can't deny that it's not good to watch I, I used to play an annual six aside tournament me for work. That's, that was my that was my game. So six six aside, five overs a piece you had. And if you got to, if you got to twenty five runs, you had to retire or could come back in if you'd lost all your wickets bar one. That's right. And I so they bring the boundaries right in. So I was just swinging from the hip every single <laughs> ball. There's, there's, there's no messing into the, going into the uh, the scrapyard behind and things like that. That was that was my kind of game. Lee's more of a leg spinner, aren't you, Lee? You like like to do bowl a bit of leg. Like, but like, yeah, uh, mate, you know what? A well, a well shaped ball. <laughs> we'll a well shaped ball, mate. We'll have to get you in the nets then. We'll have to get you down <laughs> at Trent Bridge. Oh, mate, I'd love to have a little, a little uh, spin of the fingers again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually played. Uh, I actually played for um, for Staten Town, who played in the Merseyside League, and and they used to have like the odd foreign player and things like that. Um, I was only a kid. I, I played a few times for the first team when I was like sixteen. The thing is, the, the beauty about being a spin bowler, even at that poor level. Is that you get the likes of you that come on and bowl like you know quickies that bowl at like 80, 90 mile an hour, and then obviously they see them off, and then I'd come in, you know, trying to bowl a bit of spin, and obviously straight away they think, oh, we're gonna we're gonna knock this kid out the ground. But all you'd need is a fraction of turn, and I used to get so many wickets, so many wickets in in, in that shortened format. We used to play twenty overs, uh, and then occasionally the you know forty over game. But you pick up so many wickets off, you know, like edge, big thick edges and stuff like that. Um, Sounds like you'd get me out because that's what I do. <laughs> if, there's, if, there's some, if there's somebody bowling at me at 90 miles an hour, I'm getting out of the yeah. way of it. And as soon as somebody yeah. spins it up at me, that's it. I'm having a whack. I think I can whack yeah, this. Yeah, and yeah. I, get, I get caught at long run or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, you de- definitely get me out then. Well, I'll definitely bowl, I'll, I'll have a bowling in the net. <laughs> no, but I used to love it. I used to absolutely love the game because um, I played other sports as well. But cricket in the summer every time was always great. I used to love especially playing against some of the foreign players. You know, they'd come over from Australia, South Africa, things like that. And, you know, they just bring a different style with them, you know, uh, whether it was, other, you know, either they were bowling or batting, but a lot of them would be all-rounders that tend to come over. Yeah. We had a South African kid that opened for us, but he was a good bowler as well. And um, I just think, going back to spin bowling, though, I mean, it is an art form, isn't it? We don't really see many. Since, since Graham Swan, I can't think of any world-class spinners we've had, really, have we? No, no, not not at all, really. There's there's, there's a couple. Of, um, obviously, one day cricket. Um, Adil Rashid. Um, yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's definitely good enough to play to play Test cricket. But um, for whatever reason, I don't think he's he he, he wants to play that or whatever. But um, yeah, we, our pitches aren't our pitches aren't conducive to to spin bowling really. You know, we play we play tend to play a lot of our games top heavy at the start of the year when it's damp and wet and. You know, it's it's not good for for spin bowlers there, and then you know they, they tend to come in sort of back end of the season where we've had a maybe had a bit of a summer in it and it's a bit drier. But you just you just you can't say you can't produce spinners. I don't think in in England really. Yeah, I think we're we're trying to do it. We're, we're trying to do it in this format we're doing now in the um, the Bob Willis Trophy that we're trying to go ninety overs with the ball. So. Um, that's trying to bring spinners more into the game, but I say it doesn't really matter if the pitch doesn't spin. It's the, I see spinners a bit of cannon fodder, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah. I say if, if you offer if you offered me somebody bowling at ninety miles an hour or somebody that's just spinning it slightly uh, off a off a bit of a green top, I'm taking the spin every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what what about you, Jay? Because obviously you, you've touched on um, like if, like some Rashid and people like that who are um, not interested in Test cricket and maybe more suited in their own, in their own head to uh, to one day. You you played you've been involved with both, haven't you, for for the national side for England and obviously England now within the one day game, world champions, unbelievable achievements in in, in one of the probably the best games I've ever seen in my life of. Uh, of cricket, I think it was the day we were recording the podcast, wasn't it? And, and we darted down and we 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 caught the end as well, and it was un- unbelievable scenes to to watch that. You when you uh, was it on debut, you, you took five wickets, wasn't it? Uh, were you the first Englishman to take five wickets on debut? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's correct, and um, yeah, still still hold that one. So uh, got something to to take from my England career. Um, yeah, that was in um, that was in Dhaka in Bangladesh. Um, I, Probably didn't watch it, but it was the hottest place I've ever been to. It was like literally like playing in a sauna. I've never, 
I'm not a massively sweaty person, but you could have wrung my trousers out. It was it was disgusting. I was like cramping up. I was like, and just before just before I think I took my fourth wicket, I think the um, Josh Butler was captain. Um, and he says, do you want to come off? Because you could see I was struggling. I was like, literally, I get a really red face. I was dripping, I was cramping. I was like, no, I've got, I've got, I think I've got a shot here. I've got a shot. And I actually got my fiver with the last ball of my 10th um, over. So it was, um, it was a long, yeah, yeah, it was a long, um, sweaty one and a lot of cramp that night, but it was well worth it. And, and you still you still harbour hopes to get back in, into that side. You know, it's obviously, I imagine it's really, really tough with them obviously being, being world champions and they always say, well, never never changing a winning side, etc. But, you know, do you still think that you've got a, a chance of getting back in there amongst amongst the elite? Yeah, definitely. I think you, you've got to, you've got to do otherwise, you know, it's what, it's what drives me to play. I, I still think I've got a bit of unfinished business in, in T20 and, and certainly in the, in the test format, I feel like I've, uh, I didn't get to show my my true ability in in the in the test format. So yeah, um, I think in one day cricket, like you say, the the world champions and um, leading up leading up to the World Cup um, from I think 2016 when I made my debut, I was in every every squad up until the winter of 2018 when I picked up a treble stress fracture in my spine. So. I was out for out for the best part of six months with that, and then never got got back in. So it was um, it was a, it was a tough one actually. People people like say to me, you know, it was such a good World Cup win. But there's always that. I was, I was watching it. I was loving it, and I thought, you know, this this potentially could have been me. Yeah. You know, one of those things like you, you you can never never really say could it have been me or would it have been me. But I I never know because you know I got injured the winter before and. People came in and, and took my place and did well, and they deserved to be in the side. Of course, they did. But you know, you think if I didn't get injured and I went on the tour to, I think it was Sri Lanka, uh, which I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have done, and you know, I could have gone on and done well there, and then eventually ended up in in that World Cup winning side. So you, you know, there's always these little things in your head, thinking you know, like it could have been me that that had won it, or you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I still think there's there's a bit of unfinished business for for me in an England shirt, definitely. It, it it must be difficult as well because if we look at say the test side, when you we have got the likes, obviously Stuart Broad, who I'm sure you play you've you played with for for many years, who's just taken over 500 test wickets, and you have got Jimmy Anderson, who's nearly at 600 test wickets. It was still obviously Anderson's approaching 40 now, isn't he? He's, he's the back end of, yeah. of his thirties. You know, you you still got these two two lads who've been. In that side for many many years, Joffrey Arch is now coming through, um, and it's, it's picked more often than not. Obviously, really really quick, slightly different to to your, your uh, Anderson. For, uh, that's for sure. But when you when you see those kind of plays, you know, do, do do you think how difficult it is for the selectors to maybe look past those two and actually, you know, get 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 your foot in the door of the test side as well? Yeah, yeah. Um... I think, like I say, they've got obviously Jimmy and Brody who are pretty much set in stone, and then you've got the likes of Jofra Archer, Chris Wokes has done really well um, this summer, um, and is I think a pretty unsung hero in that side in terms of he very rarely misses with the ball, and he, he gets good late runs with the bat as well. Um, you got Mark Wood not playing um, in this current game, and then there's a couple of really good players. Um, that consistently take wickets in in the championship, um, like Craig Overton and Ollie Robinson from Sussex. People like that, that you know, their the records in championship cricket are ridiculous, but they just can't seem to to break into the into the Test side because of how good the the initial players are. And it, it it can be quite it can be quite difficult, like mentally, I reckon, for for those guys because they're playing at the top of their probably at the peak of their powers right now and they're still not getting a a sniff of a play of a place. So um it is it is tough when when I look at that and think, you know, last year was certainly my worst year I've had in in county cricket. Um but obviously I come back this year and I've, I've start started really well and, and looking to to get back to where I was probably two years ago. So you know there's certainly a long long road ahead to to get back in that England side but I certainly think it's doable. Um have all the 
attributes that that you'd you'd like to have in a test bowler pace and bounce and you know things like that and and I can move, I can swing a ball as well so you know, if I, if I can get to where I was probably two years ago there's no reason why I can't get back into the side. Yeah, I was going to say on that on that front, sorry, mate. I was going to say, I mean, when you obviously you have played internationally, you mentioned about that step up. It's the same with a lot of sports, isn't it? You know, football's quite similar to that. I mean, have you, you know, who who who's the best player you say you've bowled against, mate, at international level? I mean, you mentioned Smith and people that before. I mean, I don't know. I don't think anyone can get him out for a start. He's ridiculous, yeah. isn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually um, got asked this question by one of our one of our young players the other day in the Nets, right? Um, right. And it was it's a toss up. Obviously, Smith and Coley for me, um, but Coley just edges it uh, right. because of just how like stylish he is in what he does and and how he it's works. Fast. He works so hard. And what he has to, what he has to put within India. My um my first my first Test tour was was to India. Um, and I used to sit next to him on the plane. We used to sit at the, at the, at the front because I used to get a bit of extra leg room because I'm 6'4". And he just sat at the front because he's Virat Kohli. But, um, <laughs> but he literally, he, he never got a minute. Literally, whenever he got on a plane, like, even the pilots were coming back and asking for photos. All this hair stewardesses, all the stewards were asking photos, walking through airports. Like He's got security around him all the time. He's literally, he's a god out there. And the way he handled it and dealt with it, and still put the performances on on the field. Um, I mean, in that in that series, I think he got a, a double hundred and maybe two other hundreds. You know, I think he he just showed his his class and, like I said, played against Smith, and he's a bit of a bit of a knobhead, if I'm honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Aussie. He was he was chirping me when I was bowling at him, and I just I was like I lost so much. Obviously, he's such a good player, but there was yeah yeah yeah. It was it was one of those. I just thought you're absolute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's worse. He's worse than my Warner because Warner looks like he's another one as well. Yeah, really. Oh yeah, he yeah he was he was chirping as well. Warner's. He's just he's just like a little person that you can't quite see, and he's like you can hear him, but you can't quite see him, and he like just appear from under your armpit or something. And then, yeah, you can you can hear him a lot of the time. Um, but he actually doesn't like it when you go back at him, so he's one of those that gives it out but can't really take it. So I'm all for right, it okay. I'm all for I'm all for if you give it out, you have got to be able to take it back, but he, he struggles yeah, to take sure. it back. I wonder whether uh, what happened with with them uh, and obviously getting getting done for tampering with the ball. I wonder if they'd be knocked down a peg or two and the the slightly more um, closed off now, should we say, than than previous years. But I doubt it because if if you watch them, I think it's just sort of inbuilt within the Australian cricket and culture area, isn't it? The, a lot of them are, are obviously are a certain way, and obviously Sledging's a massive part of it, and and those two especially do come uh, across as quite arrogant characters, should we say? Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't played against them since since that. Um, I played against them the following summer in a, in a one day series, um, but they were obviously they were still banned at the time. But you could see it. It, it took um, it took them a couple of years to get back from that. I think I think they took a big knock from that. I don't know if you've watched the documentary yeah. on um, Amazon Prime. The um, what it's called. I think oh the test. Um, but you see how much they had to go through to get back to where they are now. I think they're a, a, a really good side now. Um, but they had, to, they had to sort of go through a period where they weren't quite sure whether they should sledge or whether they should carry on doing what they've done for however many years before and been successful at. Because there's a lot of players in that side that, that, that are, that's all they were known about was being an Australian and sledging and getting stuck into a, a, an opposition team. And when they had to change that a little bit to try and make themselves look a bit more prim and proper, I think they really struggled. But I think they've found like quite a nice little balance now. Um, and it helps when you've got three bowlers that can all bowl 90 miles an hour. They don't have to say too much when, when that's whizzing around your ears. Yeah, of course. I think it was good I think it was good for their game, that in a weird, perverse way. You know what I mean? Because I, I, like you said, it's endemic in, in, in not just cricket in Australia. I've spent a bit of time out there. But in, in all sports, they just want to beat particularly the English, the Poms and all that they call them. They just have, look, we all like to win. We're all competitive, but they're just another level, aren't they? You know what I mean? They take it to another level and they're sore losers a lot of the time as well. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think are. it's good. For, it's good for, in in a weird way. It's kind of like I said, it was probably good that they kind of got rattled by that because then you know it sort of reset them a little bit, like you said, doesn't it? Yeah, they were they were so they were so arrogant. The the actual yeah. series that that I was involved in, um, there was it was it was bordering on not bullying's the wrong word, but their arrogance around everything was just like it was next. I mean, they did they were beating us quite convincingly most games, but still, I think you got to have a little bit because I think you're not always going to be at the top and. You know, when it does start going wrong, then people can can start bringing bringing stuff back up. And um, yeah, I, lo- I lost a lot of respect for a lot of their players during that series, just with, with the way they carried themselves. And I don't mind people winning and and being overly confident, but there's a line that that I feel as professional sportsmen, you shouldn't shouldn't really cross. And a few of those lads crossed them on a, on a few occasions. Yeah, definitely. Mate, have you ever bowled against? Um... AB, AB de Villiers. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, one day series uh, in England. Um, I, I didn't bowl. Like, he was good, but he, I just, so I bowled at him um, at Lords and it had just rained and it was a perfect pitch for bowling on. I think I just got um, Quinton de Kock out and then I got, uh, who else? The, the cap, I can't remember the captain was at the time, but I got him out. So I, I never forgot like five balls at him. And he left four and defended one. But I was I was running in thinking I'm bowling at De Villiers. This is pretty cool. I sort of, I was sort of wanting him to drop that sweep on me and hit me for six just to say I've been hit for six by De Villiers, but it didn't quite happen. I've, I've had a, I've had a few other a few other big names hit me for six, so um, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I've, I got to. I had the pleasure of what I've been to. Um, is it Newlands in Cape Town? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, what a place to play cricket that is with that backdrop. Yeah. But, uh, I watched him in a one day there uh, and in a test match actually and watched him live just one day. I mean, he was, you talked about Coley obviously being a god of it. He was worshipped by the, uh, by the Saffers out there. Um, yeah. And to be fair, he was another one that backed it up as well, didn't he? He was a top player, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. And, and by all accounts, he's a, he's a great bloke as well. And that's what you, I think that's what you, the yeah. sort of people that you respect more, the people that are like exceptionally good players, but also have that little bit of, um, like humility to them, and and they're willing to to sit down and chat. We we played we played against him in a T20. I didn't get to bowl at him, but after the game, like came up to our dress room and we had a couple of beers after, and just like a really nice lad. Plays plays golf off scratch, which is annoying as well. So that's, <laughs> that's an, another one of another one of my passions that he's really good at. But but there's your difference, isn't it? Really, compared to a top South African. Compared yeah. to a top Australian, you know what I mean. There's two, yeah. there's two levels and there's two ways to be when you're you're so good at your sport, isn't it? And there's yeah. there's obviously two total polar opposite examples of of uh, how should we say top sportsmen operate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it comes out. People people get to know. People get to find out. And that's why whenever um, De Villiers toured over here, you know, he had the respect of the crowd and and people actually sat and enjoyed watching him and. Not wanting him to get runs, but when he got runs, like he sort of was like, yeah, that was pretty special. Whereas, like, say when when Smith came over, um, like after everything all kicked off, you know, he was getting booed, and you know, people didn't quite appreciate his talent for what it was because of the person he was. So, um, I think that's a bit of a shame because he, he is such a such a good talent and and such a good batter as well. What do you play off, mate, golf wise? Um, it's actually a good good time to ask me this. I'm, I'm off. Eight, I'm <laughs> Here off, we go. <laughs> no, I'm off eight at the minute. I'm off eight at the minute. But I I was um Very played, good. The other, played the other day with a couple of my mates, and I was one under with three to go. And I've never oh, no. played. I've never played, a, never played a round under par. And I was like, right, this is happening. And I stuck one stuck one in the trees. I took my medicine, chipped out, got the bogey. Um, and I was level par going up the 18th. And for the last four times I've played this course, I birdied it three times and eagled it once. So I'm like pretty confident that I might, I've got a great chance. And I stick my first two in the trees out of bounds. <laughs> oh, mate. I, I finished up with an eight. I was absolutely gutted. Pressure got to you, mate. It did. Pressure got I'm, I'm happy to admit it. Oh, the the, the, the technique doesn't hold up under pressure. I've learned that about my golf. 
<laughs> See, you, you can play, you can play sports at the highest level, but when it comes to playing around the golf with your mates, and you've got an under par round sure. on the cards, this it. is what happens. The pressure gets to everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, the amount, the amount of times I've said that to to people going round is like, and I've got like a little two or three foot putt to win a match. I am more nervous over that than I would be if I was bowling the last ball with two to win or whatever. I don't, and I, I can't explain it. But you know, you just, you think it's when you're not quite sure of your skill. Yeah. Um, it, it's not, it's not a nice feeling. It's a mad sport. Though. I loved it. I've played it since I was a kid. I've been saying to these two here how hard it is. They don't believe me, but it's a bloody hard sport. It's a hard. I, so I know it's difficult. I've told you last time I played ten years ago. I put me uh, me wedge in the tree. And I came down like a banana. <laughs> I just, it, I, I'm a, my my mentality is not is not built for golf at all. I I get far too frustrated with golf. Far too frustrated. Yeah, you get you, you get a lot of those. Have you had to extend extend your clubs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got um yeah. Luckily, I, I got um, fitted by a Mizuno a couple of years ago. Um, but they're only a little bit because I've got really long. Apparently, I've got abnormally long arms, which helps with my bowling. But I only had to have extended by half an inch. But it all counts, doesn't it? It all counts. Mate, you need to follow that. Um, you follow a guy on Instagram called Eric Anders Lang. Have you heard of him? No. So he's basically like go. He's an American, Swedish, American guy, and he's he's like traveling the world playing all the best courses on Instagram. Oh, wow. That sounds but he's, yeah. he's, he's trying to grow the game to much like cricket and things like that and other mm. sports, you know, where you feel like young people aren't really engaging and things like that. So he's, he's a great yeah. guy. He's managed to get on, he's managed to get in with quite a few of the players on tour now. Taylor made a sponsoring him, but um, he puts out a great podcast as well. So he, he basically has played courses all over. And that for me is the beauty of golf. You can go anywhere in the world. And yeah. you can, even if even if you're playing crap, you're just walking around some of the best scenery, aren't you? Playing playing yeah. golf. Yeah, wherever I go with cricket, I always take my golf clubs in. Yeah, great. Luckily, job, luckily enough, we get we get to play some some amazing courses around the world, like you say. And there's some absolute hidden gems out there. One of the best ones was actually in India, uh, in a place called Pune. Um, and it was we were driving for like an hour out of the city, and was like, there can't be a golf course around here. This, <laughs> like, you know, literally just like brown like orangey sandish everywhere like where's this and then all of a sudden it just opened up into this valley the most pristine golf course you've ever seen um, amazing and yeah it was, it was one of the best courses that i've played and i was just in the middle of this middle of nowhere really in, in pune where you wouldn't expect them to play golf yeah that's, that's the beauty of the game for me but yeah definitely yeah. follow that guy he's a great guy he's, he's you know some of the courses he's played around the world Unbelievable, yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I'll give it a go. Sorry, sorry, Mike, digressing there. Mate. I was, I was, I was good, listen, I was, I was going to say when, when it all calms down, we'll we arrange a game and me and Peter drive the buggies and uh, and Caddy. I'll bring the range finder. Don't Sounds worry about good. that. We, we, we'll sort that out, but we, <laughs> we, we'll move on if we can and, and we, we'll move away from, from cricket because obviously the thing which brings us all together. Is is Everton Football Club and and the question I've got for you is why Everton? Uh, good story actually. Um, <laughs> so um, my granddad used to live with uh, Ray Wilson um, Ray. from the from the '66 World Cup winning side, um, and they 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 got sort of like grew up together. And and my dad um, when my dad was was young, um, Ray was living with my granddad. So. Um, he grew up with him obviously at the time he was playing for Everton so um, my dad grew up supporting Everton and then, then passed it on to me but um, yeah, it's, um, yeah it was a quite, a, quite a cool story actually my, my dad's held the, held the World Cup winners medal uh, which is pretty cool um, obviously he, he's obviously not, not with us anymore but you know it was, it was, it's a great story to have and I wouldn't support anybody else can't, can't, could never see myself supporting anybody else that's class, that. Yes, it's it's a great story, isn't it? You know, with with obviously Leighton Baines just retiring as well. There's always been this argument over who was the better left back in terms of you know Ray Wilson, uh, Leighton Baines. I mean, I, I'm always in, in the Leighton Baines camp myself because I yeah. absolutely absolutely adore the fella. Uh, absolute world class left back in my opinion. But we we've yeah. we've been we've been blessed over the years with some some real quality players, and that's we were saying we had. Um, Rob Sloman on who who did uh, who made Howard's way. Uh, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and 
we was we were talking to him and we, we were saying how much we can understand now with with us the, the age that we all are we're sort of mid thirties you're you're slightly younger you know we've seen the FA Cup final win in ninety five and me personally I was I was born eighty four so I don't remember all the the glory years of the the eighties and when you watch that film and you know you you see uh, fans you've grown up through all of that you can understand the frustration as to why we we are where we are at the moment and and how it does frustrate so many people. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually watched a little bit of that earlier. Um, it was almost Sky documentaries before. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was on. It was on Sky. Yeah, I say Sky documentaries. I had a little watch, and um, oh, my dad always talks about about the glory years and stuff like that. And it, I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that that my uh, Everton glory years are, are to come. But um, like I said, I think that there's, there's there's a lot of work to be done leading up to that. But you know, we, we're such a we're such a big club with with such a rich history i think i think it it has to turn around i think there has to be a point where where we, we do turn it around and and we start to become one of one of the best teams in england again definitely i'm, I'm certainly hopeful of that do, do you think that obviously with having having carlo ancelotti we ask everyone this who comes on carlo ancelotti is such a key figure when, when you listen to Obviously, being linked with the likes of Alan, for example, looks like that's pretty much nearly over the line. Um, obviously, the core has been linked for a while. Uh, Silver, people like that. You, you, you're hearing names, you know, that maybe normally we we wouldn't have been linked with, and and probably a lot of that has to do with who's who's in charge of the club at the moment. Yeah, I, I was actually looking at who was was in for. I keep tabs on it and things like that. Um, I think we just need to get one over the line. I, th- I think as soon as I think we sort of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit towards the back end of last season. Because if you're if you're somebody playing in Spain or Italy or wherever it may be, and you you look at coming to the Premier League, the way we finished the season, it, it wasn't an attractive team to to come and play for. Um, but obviously, with with Ancelotti in charge, I think there's there's obviously that aspect, and he will pull in players because of who he is. But I also think. That we need to see the signings coming in for other players to go. Actually, you know what they are? They actually have ambitions to to go and push in top seven, six, whatever it would be. Um, and I think as soon as we get one over the line and, and other players start to see that we have those ambitions, then I think I think we will start to see a few a few more players come through the door. Do Do you think that we're we're, we're that far? I mean, I I, I would argue it with with anyone. Obviously, the the central midfield area was a massively highlighted and probably our, our biggest weak spot in, in the side and I look at the side and I think if you showed that up in the centre mid and you brought in say two two in, in the midfield there maybe maybe a right winger as well I don't think as a sort of starting 11 you are that far from having a, a real a real solid and real quality start 11 if you say you brought Alan in and Decore that would totally for me transform the side compared to last season yeah, it would. I, I say it's the way we, we. I think the way we finished the season. I think it just looked all slow and a bit laboured. And you know, we, when you look at teams that do well and have, have played well anywhere around the world, you know, they have pace and they they, they attack, they counter attack with pace. Look at what Man United have done since since um, Solskjaer's taken over. They've just injected pace and and you can catch teams off guard a little bit. I think last year. We sort of set off too much, and we didn't attack with enough pace. Like so I think, I think, like I say the the central midfield is is a big big area. Obviously, didn't see Gabamin much last year. I think we only saw him for two games at the start of the year. So that that was that was a blow. Obviously, didn't see Delph much, and then was left with with Davis and and um, uh, Gomez. Gomez, Gomez, yeah, Gomez. Who Gomez? I love Gomez. I think he's such. I think he's such a talented player. But he needs to be there with somebody with a bit of pace who can get ahead of him. You know, you look at look at United with Matic and Pogba. You know, Matic tends to sit, and then Pogba will sort of roam and, and use a bit of his injection of pace in there. We didn't have that last year, I don't think. So I think if we can if we can get a bit of pace in there, a bit of pace down the wings. Love uh, Calvert Lewin and Richarlison up front. I think we've got a very solid defence. Um, Dean Coleman. Like Branthwaite when he came in, actually, I thought he he had two, a couple of solid games towards the back end. Um, so yeah, I think, I think like I said, I don't think we're, we're miles away. I think it's it's just a, a pace issue for us. I think if you if you want to break into that six top six, you need to have pace. 
and we, uh, we we don't really have that outside of probably the top two or three at the minute. Yeah. What 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 are your thoughts on the on Jordan Pickford? We 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 speak about Pickford all the time, and he's <laughs> I, I I personally I try to remain in his camp for as long as I can, and there's only so long that you like you can defend a goalkeeper. Um, there's no doubt in I don't think his ability in terms of as a, as a shot stopper generally. You know, as we were talking about the Australians before and, and arrogance, Pickford, I think, comes across a little bit sort of overly arrogant at times. If you look at this sort of theatrics about, you know, pulling tongues to the camera when, you know, he's getting lucky um, and, and obviously getting involved with the crowd against Newcastle and things like that. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on Pickford? Do you think that he, can, he will mature, he will calm down, he's going to be there for years to come? Or do you think maybe potentially it's, it's time for us to, to move him on? I'm a, I'm a little bit little bit in in your camp in the fact that that I really like him. I think he's over the years he, he he's he's played some great games for them. I think he generally is is a is a like say a great shot stopper. His distribution is next level out his hands. I think I don't think there's anybody better in the Premier League in, in my opinion. Um, but what what he was doing, like you say that that little smile and what is it wink to the to the camera. I think he, I think he has to start and understand how much that grinds fans' gears. It, it really does because he he let it go through his legs and then he saved it by probably two or three inches. You know, if that that goes in, you know, it, I don't I don't know. I like I think we've always had solid goalkeepers, haven't we? We've always we've always had we've always built from a solid goalkeeper with with Howard. South or people like that. I think we've always had that, and I think in Pickford we've got something that we haven't had previous, in that we've got actually a bit of a flair, a bit of a flair goalkeeper, which you don't often see, do you? Um, but I think I think if he can sort of rein all that, I don't want to call it, it is arrogance, isn't it? I suppose, but if if he can rein all that in, he's got all the ability, he's got everything that 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 he needs. I mean, he proved that in the in the World Cup, didn't he? How how good a shot stopper is with it with his penalties and things like that. I think he just needs to to understand that if he makes mistakes, everyone makes mistakes, but don't sugarcoat them or anything. Like don't try and paper over cracks. Like I think he needs to to own up to him and, and not not try and hide behind him, which I think he he does quite a lot. I think that's why it's rubbed up so many fans up the wrong way, isn't it? It's like an insecure Arrogant, got no problem with him being arrogant after he's pulled off a, a penalty save, or yeah, uh, you know he's 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 made a great stop. But it's it's the fact that yeah he's being arrogant after he's made a, a a whopper, or it's another one that he's nearly dropped or let in through his legs, or yeah, he, think... he does so much good stuff though, doesn't he? He does <laughs> he does some some stuff which you like. That is that is why you're England's number one, and then he'll go sort of. Five minutes later, and do something that's just not. I think. I think from a goalkeeper, you you want confidence that he's solid behind you. You look at all the all the top teams; they've got solid goalkeepers that you you know you can, your defenders can rely on. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that last year, certainly towards the back end, I'm not sure our defence completely trusted that if 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 a long distance shot came off or whatever, that the fact that he, he could he could deal with it. Yeah, I, mean, I think he, he, had, he, had a, he had a pause. Right, sorry, Pete. Uh, he did have a poor season, didn't he? I think he he was. I think Kepa finished bottom in terms of shots faced and percentage conceded, and he was he was nineteenth. So, like, I mean, I think he had a poor season, but I, I do tend to agree with you. I think he makes sometimes the difficult things look easy, and then the easy things look difficult. And if you look at the likes of, you know. Edison, Allison, people like that. They're just they're just solid all round keepers, aren't they? Just you know, they never seem to be making worldy saves because they're positioning so good and they make the. So I I just think maturity is the key word for me for Pickford because I think you're right. He has got the ability, but unless he matures, he's not really going to improve. I don't think for me. Um, but that's another debate, isn't it? Yeah. Well, how how old is he? He can't he can't be that old. Can he? Twenty twenty six. Twenty six is he? Yeah. Off my head. So you're looking, you're looking to him now, 26. You're looking to him to say get get all that, use all the experience he's had, and, and start maturing a little bit. I think if he can sort his head out that way, I think he would be a top goalkeeper, and and no reason why he shouldn't keep the the England number one jersey. I've got a feeling that with with the postponement of 
Euro 2020, obviously, when we came back after lockdown, there was no chance that was going to be getting played. And, and I think, I know he's had, obviously, his issues prior to that, but he made a lot of mistakes in those final nine games. And I think maybe because he thinks, well, there's no tournament now for England, so I can take me sort of foot off the gas. I think I think his priority is not really Everton. I think it's, it is England. I think he's always wanted that number one spot. He got it. You know, he was great in, in the World Cup, wasn't he? Let's say penalty shoots out against Colombia, but made some cracking saves as well throughout, throughout the tournament. I think he sees England as, as the is almost his bread and butter, and Everton is just a sort of a, a little bit of a, a, a byproduct of, of him being a goalkeeper, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think now potentially is the first time he's going to be pushed by other English goalkeepers since he's had that number one jersey. The likes of obviously Henderson, who's signing a new deal at Man U. Um, the likes of um, Pope as well, who, who's doing really well. So you've got a couple of keepers there who are going to push him. And potentially, you know, with the Euros getting played next year, maybe he'll switch on again. Maybe, you know, he'll be fully concentrated. Listen, I've got a battle on my hands here now with these two other young lads coming through. I've got to sort of be switched on. Yeah, I, I see it going one of one of two ways. I, I see him either, like you say, coming out and improving what he can do or going the way that, you know, it, it strikes me as a little bit of a, if I can't, like you say, can't get in the England side, then I'm just going to just gonna toss it off a little bit or, you know, I'm going to have to do something that's, that's flair to get me noticed and then get me back in the, in the England side. I don't, I don't think, it doesn't strike me as somebody that's willing to just sort of grind it out and and maybe make a few ugly saves to you know keep a clean sheet he'd rather let one in and do a worldy stop rather than say keep keep the clean sheet so i hope i hope he matures because i say i think i think he's a great talent and it, and I, I feel like he, he's got everything the one thing he has got i say over the others is, is that distribution so i think i think southgate likes that doesn't he so i think if he can sort the rest of his game out then, um, I think I think he'll be he'll be pretty good. And you, you mentioned there, just going back to you mentioned obviously we've always built from a solid foundation. Everton with having excellent goalkeepers, never south or being obviously the 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 main one there and in this day, best in the world. There's, there was no question about that, especially in that sort of eighty four eighty five uh, team. He was absolutely sensational. But I've got to ask, when you were growing up, who was who was your Everton hero, who was the one player that you that really stuck out for you? Um, I got, I got, I got a few really. I love, I love Tim Cale. He was a bit, obviously, a little bit later from when I when I first started. Obviously, Big Dunk um, was a massive one. Um, uh, loved Gravison and Carsley in the middle of midfield. I thought they they epitomised everything that that Everton should be about. Um, I'd probably yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably say Kale was up there for me. And um, you mentioned him earlier, actually, Leighton Baines. I, I love that bloke. I think he's I think he's an absolute legend. And um, yeah, my, my brother's a bit bit of a bit of a mod like rocker type, and he, he, he always <laughs> even though even though my brother's a Man United fan, I don't know how that happened. Um, he always says he loves Leighton Baines. So um, I'd, I'd probably go toss up between Baines and Kale for me. Lee, Lee's always started his hair on Leighton Baines. Whatever Baines changes hair, Lee, Lee's always changes, as you can see, by what he's got going on. This is a lockdown haircut, mate, I've told you. Have you not been a barber since uh, since lockdown? No, not yet, no. no. <laughs> not yet, pal. I do agree with Leighton. I think Leighton's been... I mean, it's, it's a really cool story that your dad actually, you know, was good mates with Ray Wilson because obviously, if you speak to the older boys, they all they all say he was better. But the way Leighton played the game, I mean, it's so sad that he's retired, isn't it? Because you know, he keep, he's in such good nick, and technically he's so good, you can get away with having that little less yard of pace because you know he's always been so good on the ball, hasn't he? And it's, yeah. it's, it's such it's such a shame he's he sort of called it a day because I think he'd have at least another two or three years, especially under Ancelotti. Who, who likes like you know typical Italian likes the older experienced pros. Yeah, I think I think he's, I, think, I like I do like I like Luca Dean who's coming. Obviously, I think he's, yeah, he's, class. he's such a yeah. He's last year he was class above everybody else in that team. I thought I think he was he he dealt with everything. Well, sort of back I say back end of the season when when we weren't playing as well. I think he always stood out to me as that player that that sort of kept his standards really high. Um, so I think I think it'd be difficult, and I don't, I'm not sure he'd have wanted to to stay there as 
as a bit of a, a backup buddy. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was disappointing to, to see him retire, but you know, I think he, he got so many memories of him whipping free kicks and corners and him and him and Stephen Pienaar down the left-hand side, you know, they were, yeah, I used to, I used to say they were, they were the best left, left side combination for, for a few years in the world and my brother used to hate it, but I was like, you, you name me a better left-sided pair than Stephen Pienaar and Leighton Baines, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I think, it's a great I think, show. Great I, show. Think, I think probably PR more than Baines was was massively undervalued outside of, of Everton. And, and when he left, obviously for Spurs and, and came back, he obviously he was still quality, but wasn't wasn't quite the same. But at, at the peak, the two the two of them were, as you say, probably the best. I'd say definitely the best in the Premier League at that particular time. The, there's there's no question about obviously the relationship that they both had. They just knew where each other was going to be. How many times do you see them move down left hand side and? You know, P&R be inside and then Baines would go behind him, he'd roll it, roll it in. You know, it happened time and time again and they were just sort of telepathic, weren't they? And we haven't seen anything like those two since. Um, I know obviously football's changed a little bit, but Leighton Baines and Stephen P&R on, on the day were, were absolute quality and, and seeing Leighton Baines obviously now, now retiring and leaving really just sort of Seamus Coleman of that that sort of David Moyes-ish era. It's a... It's, uh, it shows you obviously how much and how much times and how much the team is changing. And it's a bit of a shame. We, we said this before that we couldn't we couldn't win a trophy for for Leighton Baines before he retired. Yeah, I, I keep watching all these Premier League years. Obviously during lockdown and stuff, I, I was watching all of them and looking back at sort of around the the 2010 era where I think we obviously got got into to Europe and then a bit bit further on. I think we had such a good team then. Um, and a team, a team not necessarily full of stars, you know, with like Osman and, and Phil Neville, people like that, they, they weren't necessarily, you know, I think Osman was one of those that, that made so much of his ability, he made everything out of his ability. I think I think for, for many years he played to his max. I think a few a few players in, in the dressing room now need to, to look at him and think, you know what, you know, I might not be the best player in the world, but I need to make the most of what I've got type of thing. I think, like like Lee said as well, I think you know with with Carlo Ancelotti liking that sort of mature player as well. It was it was a bit of a um, a strange one to see to see Baines Baines retire. But I think Leighton Baines, I think, would always like to have gone out, probably still able to play maybe a year or two at the top level. There's no question that he could. There was no fans in the ground to see him off. You know, we just slip out of the back door. That's him. He'd be sitting in the house now on a daily basis, playing the playing the jam, playing his guitar. You know, just just watching the world go by, and and you, you probably wouldn't even see him again. Like that, that's just yeah. Leighton Baines all over. Yeah. That, and that that's probably how he would want to go about his his retirement. Um, but he's, he's for me. You know, he's got to be rewarded for that loyalty that he that he showed as well. He, he could have gone to United when when Moyes went, and you know, didn't make a fuss about anything. Stayed at Everton, and you know he could have gone on to win to win various trophies, and decided to stay with the club. So he's definitely, definitely a massive, a massive hero of of mine, and someone who I'm sure will live live uh, long, long and, and fondly in the in the memory of Evertonians. That's for sure. It's um, classic Baines to go out understated like that, though, isn't it? Hundred you know I mean? percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why we, that's why we love him, though, isn't it? Because he wasn't yeah. understated. Yeah, we yeah. all we all knew we all knew he was a world class player, but he never carried on like that. He was just always pretty level. When, whenever you saw him do interviews or whenever you, you sort of see anything with him in it, he, he was always just so understated. I think that that's why that's why we love him. Apparently, he, he, sorry, mate. He was the coolest footballer, though, wasn't he? Come on. <laughs> You know, yeah. That, 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 we said it before in another podcast when he got picked for England and he went away in the World Cup, and they've all got their little uh, Louis Vuitton bags, and he walks on with it, with it, with his guitar case. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. just genius, wasn't it? You look at the time when he he got a an ice cream outside Upton Park after the game. You know, in his Everton sacksuit, hair hair slicked back, getting a ninety nine. That that that's Leighton Baines, isn't it? That's that's yeah. what he's what he's all about. Well, the the way rumours and apparently it, it did happen. After the final game of the season against Bournemouth, he did slope into the uh, the taxi club and have a, a couple of drinks with a few of the fans that were in there on the day. So yeah. he's he's just a top he's just a top top man, isn't he? Top yeah, man. He is. um, yeah. If you actually if you're in Liverpool though, actually, mate, you, you see him quite regularly, um, just going around with his like like a camera around his neck, just taking pictures of the city and then just stops off as a little cappuccino and carries on again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like so what a guy. It's so it's so bad. What a guy. Yeah, you know I mean, 
Yeah, he's he's great. He's great, isn't he? I've uh, I've got to ask you before before we wrap up, Jake. What are your what are your expectations for the coming season? You know, we we, we mentioned briefly before about potential signings and, and improvements. Do you think we can crack Europe again? Do you think we can we can get a trophy at last since obviously first since ninety five? What what are your what are your thoughts on that? I, I certainly I certainly think we need to to get a few signings in before. Um... But I think, like I say, I think whether Ancelotti, if Ancelotti can can get it or implement all the things that he wants to implement over um, over this little preseason that we've got, um, I think the start is it's a massive start. I think we'll we'll learn a lot from that first game. Obviously, Tottenham away, it tends to be a game where you know we over the last sort of four or five years we, we tend to fold in these games. We don't we we don't tend to to do very well away at the so-called top top six sides so I think that'll be a, a, a good a good test for us straight out straight out of the gate so um, I'm always hopeful I'm always hopeful I, even last game of the season I, I had us in our accumulator and, and you know I, my missus gets annoyed at me for it because I'm always like you know we're going to we're going to win every game and, and things like that I'm, I'm such a I try and I try and look in the, on the positive side of, of everything and she's and she'll walk in after 90 minutes and go how did it go I thought oh, we, we lost again <laughs> she's like you never seem to win do you I was like we, we will we'll be back we'll be back strong don't worry um so yeah I'm, I am hopeful I think I think if he can if he can implement what he wants to implement is is such a a world-class manager um I think we've got a great He's got a great backroom staff, a great team. I think, obviously, with with Big Dunk still being there as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I am I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I think I think realistically, looking looking for sort of a, I don't know. I, I want to say top ten finish, but I think we should we should do that. We should a, a club of our size and, and stature. We we should be doing that every year. But um, I think if we can get off to a good start, then then there's no reason why we can't sneak in that that top seven. Hope hope you're right. I, I think I think you're spot on. I think we we've said that we you know if we sort of get sort of top eight next season, um, that's that's progression. Obviously, you want to see you want to see a better quality of football. Is is probably the biggest the biggest thing, and you yeah. want to see an Everton side that that go into a game and they, and they try and win the game. You know. Um, we said it time and again that the, the the right man's in charge. It's just now a case of, of him building the side that he wants and getting in the the targets that, that, that he wants as well. And I, and I'm sure I'm sure over the course of the next the next few weeks in this short and window we we'll get some some real some real quality in, into that side and hopefully be you know a, a much better match for for those sides in the rounders and those at the top of the table as well. You know we should be we should be beating. Some of those teams along the way, there's there's no excuse for that because, like you say, the size of the club, we, we should be knocking on, on the door of, of Europe every single season. Definitely. Fingers crossed. Jason, That's everything right. crossed. That's right, Mike. Mike right. I think, realistically, if we'd have had a half-decent midfield last season, we'd have definitely finished certainly top 10, centi top 8, wouldn't we? We had Gomez miss most of the season. And like you, Jay, I, I, you know, all of us on the podcast here really rate you. Yeah, I know he split some of the fans and some people say, you know, he's a bit of a luxury player or whatever, but, you know, he's, he's, he's a footballer, isn't he? He's an out-and-out yeah. technician. He just needs yeah, legs yeah. around him. He just needs legs around him. So, you know, we missed him for most of the season. Like you said, we've had Davis playing there. Delft's chipped in one or two games, not really, not really looked anywhere near sort of Gareth Barry sort of levels. And then, you know, we've pretty much had a decimated midfield for probably 70% of the season, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, like say Ancelotti can work on Moise Keane because I actually thought he looked whenever he came on. I mean, and he looks a little bit like a bull in a china shop sometimes, like he's he's flailing arms and stuff around. But I feel like if he can sort of hone all that in and and get him sort of in between the sticks, I, I think he he'll he'll go well for us uh, as, as a as a backup to to Dominic Calvert Lewin and uh, Richarlison. So the thing, the thing is. Yeah, the th- the thing with Moise Keane, uh, I mean, we we said that we 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 had the uh, we met him didn't we? Was it just the Crystal Palace game, wasn't it? We went to and we had the chance to meet him after that. Um, and obviously, he's, he's a he's a young lad. He's he's obviously very very new to the country. And we said in the past, hasn't been it wasn't his greatest season at all. Um, and he did come across as as obviously quite shy. And obviously, there's a, there's a language barrier there as well, which will only improve as time goes on. But 
he did show, you know, the, that last game of the season, the Newcastle game, and other games. He, he, he was fairly bright, and, and there's definitely there's definitely a player there. There's definitely a player. He's just very very raw, and you yeah. know, under under the right guidance, you know, hopefully, um, he can he can become a real player for us. Bear in mind what happened with Big Dunk last season at, at Old Trafford when he, he came on and got, then got sucked off again. You know, yeah. he's, he's gone through all that, that aspect as well, rightly or wrongly. You know, whether it's his fault, whatever it might be. It's all a learning process for the kid, but uh, he's got to be given a, and, and cut a little bit of slack because of the fact he's come to a brand new country when he was 19. And he'll, he'll only get better, is, is, is what yeah. I'll say there. But definitely yeah. hopeful with the boys keen as well. But Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you to, tonight. Re- really enjoyed it. No problem. I've loved it. Could talk about football for hours. So <laughs> get, me, get me back on. We, we, listen, listen, we will do. And, and, we, and we saw that game of golf as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we saw that. We could we could do a four ball, couldn't yeah, we? We'll we get, do a four yeah. ball. Yeah, we'll get you the nets as well. Ah, no problem. Yeah, put put, put, put Lee against me get, with get his little. Of, get, get get some of them leggies up. You'll get me out. Oh mate, wait till you see my googly, mate. I'll get you out straight away. Yeah, I would guarantee yeah. every every ball of these will just go straight. There'll be no movement <laughs> whatsoever. Be hey, look at the action, there. mate. Look at the action. Yeah. There, still got it. Yeah, got listen, it. listen. You know, you know, Robert Croft. That's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, we, we'll we'll leave it there. Everyone who's listening, uh, before we go, get involved with our the fantasy football league, which is open again. Uh, free to to get involved with that. The code is on our on our Twitter page, um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with the the transfer special. El Pivote will be back to run through hopefully um, a few signings and and a few outgoings as well. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.